One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I can remember at the end of my pregnancy writing down three promises. The first promise was to be a good mum. The second was to finish my education. I had no idea how I'd do that now. And the third was to write a book, a pamphlet or something to help other young women that had been in the same situation as me and and young men to know that they can be okay and that their kids can be too. That is Bernadette Black, author and CEO and founding director of the Bray Foundation. And this is episode 229 of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here this beautiful Monday or Sunday if you're in the States or somewhere else on the other side of the dateline to us. Um, welcome. This is my show. Today's uh, episode is with Bernadette Black. You can find her on Twitter at Bernadette Black. Uh, pretty sure that's her Twitter handle. Yeah, B-E-R-N-A-D-E-T-T-E Black. Bernadette Black. Black is where you can find her. Uh, more about her in a moment. If you're new to the pro, if you're new to the show, welcome. Uh, I'm Osher. Sometimes I'm on the telly. Uh, sometimes I'm counting roses. Tonight I'll be wearing a fantastic bowler shirt. Um, but each week on this show, I have an authentic conversation that you get to be a part of with someone that you may know, maybe someone that you don't know, but doesn't matter. Each week, I guarantee that you'll go, "All oh, right, oh, I didn't think about that that way." Oh, that's an interesting perspective. Maybe I'll look at the world a little differently today. And that's what we're all about here, just shifting paradigms, shifting paradigms and hopefully giving you a little something that can make today better than yesterday. Thanks very much to everybody that reached out through the week. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That is my email address. A couple of great photos came through. A few people uh, sending photos with um, the bus stops with my face on it. Um, 
I have seen them. It's pretty interesting. To oh, There's currently a big outdoor campaign in Australia for Bachelor in Paradise, which is a show that's on air at the moment that I'm a part of. And um, it's me and a few other people from the show on this poster, and they're on bus stops and they're on buses driving around. And, and let me tell you, it is odd when you're sitting in traffic and your face pulls up next to you six feet high on a bus. It's a very, very different situation to how life was five years ago. Uh, this time, exactly five years ago, I was unemployed, living in another country, paying rent out of my savings. And now I pull up next to myself on the side of a bus. Um, every career is peaks and troughs. Hopefully, the parabolas smooth out a little bit. That's uh, generally the idea. But right now, here we are. We're in the, oh, you're on the side of a bus moment. And, uh, you know, in a couple of years, it might be someone else on the side of a bus. And that's okay. Um, but this is where we are right now. So, let's enjoy it. You know, because that's that's it. That's it, basically. You know, my old manager John and John um, Ferreira in the states used to always say, "Unless you host the news, every show you're on, ever, will get cancelled." So, um, enjoy the moments when they're there, and here we are. We're enjoying the moments while they're there, and I'm very grateful for these moments. And um, I try to practice gratitude every single day. And I know, you know, we've talked about this a lot. If you're new to the show, uh, I'm Osher. Um, I have a, a slightly different brain that I got born with. And uh, there's a few things that I did along the way that didn't help things. Um, but yeah, I live with generalized anxiety and obsessive and compulsive disorder. And at the moment, I'm living life off medication. And uh, each week, I just kind of try and share how life is how's going and, and what things are working for me. And Because ultimately, you may not have what I have. You may have something else. You may just have the brain you got. But there are things that you can do every single day that can make uh, your days easier if your brain has a tendency to do different things uh, outside of the norm. And, and, and one of the things that I've been talking about a lot on the show is writing every morning. And every single morning, I write 10 things that I'm grateful for. It's been a big part of my sobriety journey, writing 10 things I'm grateful for. In fact, um, <laughs> I'll never forget it, the day uh, that I'll tell you about it. I'm writing a book at the moment. I'll, I'll put it in the book, but there's, there's something in there about gratitude and uh, on a particularly horrible day in my life that um, uh, the guy that guides me through things told me to do. And uh, Anyway, the, the, it's scientifically proven. Gratitude is scientifically proven to have a positive outcome on your mental health. So, if you're not already writing, handwriting, a gratitude list every morning, perhaps consider doing it. it. It doesn't take much. It takes five minutes, not even three minutes. You can do it while you wait for your, your oatmeal to cook in the microwave or, or whatever you do uh, in the morning. Uh, just write 10 things that you're grateful for. And it could be something as simple as, you know what? I have a clean toilet that I get to poop in. I don't have to walk out and, and poop in a long drop. I have two legs that I can swing over the bed and stand up with. I have clean water that comes out of the tap. It can be something as simple as that. But really feel that. Really feel that gratitude that there are people in the world that don't have. You have a smartphone. You're listening to this on a smartphone, except for the one person who listens on a laptop. Hello. Um, maybe send me a photo of, of where you're doing your writing in the morning. I'd be interested. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'm learning a lot this week. Um, you know, I do like to be educated. I do like to know why things work the way they work. It's kind of how things have worked for me uh, to kind of know the why behind things. It helps me kind of commit to them a bit more. So I've been learning a lot this week about how anxiety works and how anxiety in my brain works. And I knew, I knew a fair bit about it, but um, I'm reading this really interesting book about it um, and learning the difference between cortex-based anxiety and, and amygdala-based anxiety. It's a bit nerdy, but it's basically about where anxiety forms in the brain and how to tell the difference between both 
and how to deal with each in their own way, particularly the amygdala stuff, which happens. Amygdala is a thing that makes you duck, and then the cortex is a thing that you stand up afterwards and you look at the thing that was flying at you. Like the amygdala makes you drop down before you've identified the object. You just see something coming towards you and the amygdala takes charge and pulls you out of the way. And the cortex is the thing that then goes, oh, it was a, I don't know, a rock or a bird or a tree that I was going to walk into. Um, so, yeah, some, of the, some, of the, some anxiety originates in the part of your brain that just doesn't have time to process things. It's just trying to keep you safe. And that's the interesting stuff that I'm really kind of getting stuck into. Thankfully, though, our brains can rewire which is the most incredible thing. Our brains can rewire. I've experienced that. I know many people have. Um, healthy brain can rewire. And what's brilliant is that we aren't beholden to previous loops and pathways that did govern our lives and previous ducking responses or whatever else is your automatic response to certain things. You can rewire that stuff. It does take work, but I talk about this every week. It's it, Look, Rich Roll said it for, for about a year and a half when he was training for Otelo. Um, but it is. It's like building the house, building the house brick by brick, rep by rep at the gym. You build towards your goal for a while, just like just like, like a, a piddly stack of bricks. Um, but each time you practice this stuff, each time you put one brick solidly in place, it starts to become a strong structure more and more. And eventually, you'll look back and go, holy moly, look at that. I've got a house. Um, thanks, Rich. Love you, man. Loving your shows at the moment, just digging it, doing a lot of driving. So I'm just knee deep in podcasts every day. Um, it might be frustrating for a while as you do put those bricks in place, but I promise you it does appear. If you just do it every single day, you only have to do one at a time. Every single day, eventually, sooner than you think, you'll have something solid that you'll begin to stand on and it'll be really something else. It doesn't take long. And I can promise you, 20 minutes of writing a day can absolutely change your life. I promise you, it can absolutely change your life. Going through my garage um, for a big clean out a couple of weeks ago, I was finding all the notes I made um, doing, because I was, even when I went proper crazy, when I was going through psychosis and everything, I made notes and I wrote down everything. And if I hadn't been writing stuff down, I would have not been okay. I mean, I managed to get out of it all right, but the writing was something that helped me. It would have been way worse. It was fucking horrible, but it would have been way worse if I hadn't been doing that writing, even in the darkest of darkest of times. But yeah, do some writing. 20 minutes a day. That's all it takes. I like the morning. You can do it whenever you want, but I like the morning because it kind of sets me up for the day. A big thank you, I've got to say, to switch gears for a second, I've got to say a big thanks to everyone uh, who gave such great feedback about Bachelor in Paradise and After Paradise. After Paradise is a talk show we do on 10Play. Um, you can find it on 10Play if you go into the extras where you look for Bachelor in Paradise. You'll find it there. It does take a little longer to pop up on Apple TV, so unfortunately, you may have to give it a bit of time there. Trust me, I've been talking to the boffins back in the network about that. Um, but it is, if you want to watch it, you can see it on your phone or your laptop if you have one. Um, but you can see it on your phone pretty much about 10, 15 minutes right after um, the rose ceremony. You'll find it there. Um, but we're all very, very proud of it. Uh, it's a fantastic show, and you'll see it this week on – you'll see it tonight, and you'll see it on Wednesday night. It goes on after every rose ceremony. We're on again tonight. Yeah, we're on again tonight. I am loving the photos that people are sending me of watching the show together. People send me photos on Instagram or on their email address. That makes me so happy because I promise you, I love that I get to work, going to work every day and helping people fall in love. That's a really nice thing to do for a job. But what makes me really, really happy 
What makes me so happy is making a show that people watch together. That makes me so happy. People send me Snapchat stories and Instagram stories of like 12 people in a room together. Like, I love that. I love that. That people are watching this show together. It makes me very, very happy. You know what else makes me happy? I'll tell you what makes me happy. Sharing great stories of great humans with you. And I have a fantastic story for you today. Let me tell you about my guest. Bernadette Black, or Bernie Black, is the CEO of Brave Foundation and the author of the book, Brave Little Bear, The Inspirational Story of a Teenage Mother. You can find out more about Brave Foundation at bravefoundation.org.au. Bernie's story is not uncommon, but it is something that still in our modern society, something we still don't really talk about. Teenage Teenage pregnancy. That's something we want to talk about. Even I can't say it probably. Teenage pregnancy. I know that Bernie's story will resonate with many people listening. I know that. And I am sure it might even be confronting to some people listening. Because the idea that teenagers have sex is confronting. But it happens. And trust me, when we get into the numbers, you'll be like, wow, it really does happen. Bernie has not only built an incredible life for her son and now larger family. She's risen to create an incredible career for herself as the CEO of Brave Foundation. And you'll hear how she's making a massive difference, not only with stigma reduction and support for teenage parents, but on a broad policy level here in Australia. She has reached above what the foundation's doing and and starting to really influence public health policy in our country, which is an extraordinary achievement. And I I'm just so excited that she chose to come up and have a chat on the day that she did. Now, you might not be trying to tackle a powerful social issue like teenage pregnancy. You might just be trying to tackle getting your kids to ease up on the screen time and engage in a little more real time, a little more me time. It doesn't matter. Whatever your challenge is, whatever the thing that you're trying to do in your life, Bernie's story will leave you so inspired about what is possible no matter what circumstances you're facing. And that with support and a solid reframe, many situations can turn out way better than you thought in the first place. She's an inspiring, inspiring woman, and I cannot thank her enough. She flew out from Tasmania for the day just to come into our apartment, just to have this chat. I'm so grateful. You can find out more about the incredible work that Brave Foundation does for expecting and parenting teens at bravefoundation.org.au. They're on Twitter at Brave Foundation. Bernadette's on Twitter at Bernadette Black. Enjoy this conversation around my kitchen table with Bernie Black. Good morning, Bernie. Good morning, Osha. Thanks for coming. It's so good to be here. So good. I know you came early, but you mm. found a coffee around the corner, okay? I did. And hey, so nice to dump the um, big coat coming from Tasmania this morning. And so needed that for a little bit, but Sydney is beautiful weather. You flew from Tassie yeah, today. I what did. part of Tasmania are you? We're just south of Hobart, a place called Blackman's Bay. So on the water, not oh, too far God. from the water, similar to here. Um, and it is actually beautiful weather there at the moment, so I yeah. shouldn't complain too much. No, it's an, it's an extraordinary, extraordinarily beautiful part of Australia. And it's only when you really fly into it, you're like, my goodness me, just, it's just 
bays everywhere and water everywhere. It's so right, isn't it? <laughs> it's beautiful. What yeah. am I doing in the Sydney property market, Bernie? Why? <laughs> well, look, we actually went over there for a holiday about 13 years ago and we we're going to go around Australia. My husband and I were both registered nurses at the time and we only had two little kids then and we just fell in love with uh, Tasmania and we're still there yeah. and um, didn't go on that big trip around Australia. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we'll still make do of that at some point. I was there, I was there a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, like, you know, like a good stubborn Ginsburg that I am, I didn't want to listen huh. to the didn't want to listen to the first surgeon that told me I'll probably need a hip replacement. Oh. So I went to go see another surgeon who told me I need a hip replacement, and then I didn't want to listen to either of them. And then this is amazing. Someone listened, someone <laughs> listened to my podcast actually is oh. um, he he plays elite sport and yep. uh, is a referee for elite sport. And yep. he said, uh, you know what, you've got to go see this guy. He's the one that looks after you know all the you know AFL guys. Yeah, yeah. He's in Hobart. Oh. I'll go. I'll go see this guy. He's the he's the business. And this guy, like, I, I bet s- you I know who it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I reckon I could. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. What's his first name? Jason. No, no. it's not. <laughs> but this guy is like proper rock star. You know, yeah, he's yeah, no longer yeah. a doctor, orthopedic yeah. surgeon. He's gone up to Mister. Like yeah. he's gone all the way through doctor oh, wow. and like all the way to the yeah. other end of Mister. It's a pretty big thing when you're calling a doctor a Mister. Yeah, isn't when it? you get right to the other end. Oh, can wow. I come see him? Can I come see him in the state? No, he's prepping his yacht for the Sydney to Hobart. He races it every oh. year. You know, he's that guy. Yeah, and he, wow. And then he said, "Nah, you need a hip replacement." <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, Osha, oh, no." Right, <laughs> no, I was like, yeah, it's all right, you know, it's yeah. okay. But I was got I got to spend some lovely time in Hobart, and Good. I haven't been there since um, I worked with uh, Idol and Channel V, and yeah. I was, you know, I was still drinking back then. So to be able to look at it with fresh eyes, and, yes. and you know, not be like constantly just searching out. Okay, uh, well, as soon as I finish work, I can walk to that pub, and there's a pub from between there and the hotel where we're staying, and then you know, gotcha. you know like, instead of planning my my yeah, trip to yeah, Hobart yeah. and drinking, yeah. I was like. Wow. Look at the scenery. <laughs> so what was your favourite place this time? Uh, I went, I had some time. I was in and out in a day mm-hmm. and I went to, um, I'm fascinated with Antarctic exploration. Oh, so I went to Mawson's Hut. Yes, yeah. And uh, it, that was, oh, I spent hours in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was just yep. bloody great. But you yep. you grew up in Tassie, didn't you? No, I didn't no? actually. So we went there 13 years ago. So I yeah. grew up in Melbourne in actually. Melbourne. So in Watsonia. So uh-huh. my mum still lives there and um, all of my family are in Melbourne and they couldn't believe it when we turned up in Tassie and we <laughs> rang and said, we're going to buy a house here and they were like, what are you doing, Tasmania? <laughs> it's now of, it's amazing to say you're from Tasmania, yeah. I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite because a lot of people from Tassie end up in Melbourne. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So what? What? Tell me about Watsonia when you were growing up. What kind of place was Watsonia? Yeah, sure. So Watsonia is about half an hour from the city, you know, and very similar, I guess, to Sydney. The prices of houses have gone through the roof in Watsonia and it's um, an area now which is like in the top five suburbs of out of city, which it wasn't then. It was, you know, like it was a tough area, you Mm. know. um, We hung out a lot at the local shopping centre. There was a lot of kids that didn't finish school, you know, after year 10, that type of thing. Um, So although you only know what you're around, don't you, Usher? And I just loved my childhood and my teenage life. And it was a bit traumatic here and there, but I'm a pretty optimistic person. So I just found the optimism amongst that. But mum's still in the same house there, which is still falling down um, in the same road. And uh, and it's lovely going back there, yeah. um, you know, every Christmas or halfway through the year or whenever I find myself back in Melbourne. Are you from a big family? 
I have uh, two brothers, a brother and a sister, so two siblings, and I'm You're the oldest. Two. You're the oldest. I'm the oldest. So, yeah. and it's so funny. I, you know, I, I hear lots of siblings have this um, this type of thing happen in their families. But whenever we get together, uh, and they're both in Melbourne, I slip straight into big sister mode, and my little sister does exactly what I say. I start bossing her around, and I catch myself now, Osher, and say, "Oh, Janie, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's not okay." She's like, "No, it's all right. You're my big sister. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to." Do what you say, but yeah, it just sort of doesn't go away, yeah, does it? It does. It does. Yeah, it's it, funny. It does happen. So when you were growing up, and I think it's it's quite different now, but uh, yeah. certainly up in Brisbane, it was leaving school at fifteen was uh, there was a lot of people. I was like, that's yeah. it. That's as far as I'm going. Then I'm yeah. off to you know. Yeah. I'm going to go be an apprentice. Sure. I'm out of this noise. This is this is done. How many of those people actually went and did that? Another story. Uh, <laughs> but so were you kind of? We said it was a bit rougher. Were you were you kind of in the roughness, or were you adjacent to the rough? Were you with friends with people who were involved in the roughness? Uh, look, I can remember there was a roller rink. It sounds so 80s kids, doesn't it? <laughs> and I remember going to the roller rink in Alpha. Roller rink over Snapchat any day of the week. I don't care how many streaks you've got. You put on Dead or Alive, you spin me right round. That's right. Blow the whistle and we reverse direction. It's the best thing that's, that will happen in your day. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I remember going to roller rink disco nights, which were on a Friday night, and there'd be the boys that were would be there and they all smoked and they had bomber jackets which you know we're all wearing now um but I just thought they were the coolest thing ever and so then it, that sort of graduated I went to a um a private secondary college a catholic college in all girls. um no it was co-ed and these guys that then they a lot of them did drop out of school in year nine and year ten but they held a fascination for me and so then I started to hang out with them a bit and you know probably do things that my mum and dad weren't that very happy with and most of it they probably didn't know though and it was that that I started to get that taste of I guess freedom and life outside like any teenager does like yeah. my my kids are now that you just start to go oh there's life outside of what mum and dad tell me to do or what I need to do or that type of thing and so yeah that was probably when I started to you know really want to go and hang out with more risk-taking people I guess yeah. at that time of life but I'm, 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 I'm guessing at that point it was smoking and you know yeah. drinking and that's about it yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's right and it, you know pretty Teenage stuff. Some lightweight vandalism and perhaps some <laughs> trespass. <laughs> Well, I remember actually lightweight vandalism. I remember this. Um, there was some vandalism down the bottom of our street, down the laneway on a big wall, which was outside a kinder, and it was, you know, of some rude parts. And I remember taking much responsibility and seeing it and thinking about the little kids that would see these big breasts painted on the um, the wall, so I turned it into a happy face, Osha. So I did do my bit of vandalism, but it was in the goodwill for the with, um, kids in the community. With a paintbrush or a spray can? Um, no, I think it was with chalk. With chalk? <laughs> yeah, so, ah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was only young. Turn, turn boobs into a smiley face. That's right. That's oh. right. For the greater good, Asha. You know, <laughs> <laughs> protecting the community. And look, look, as part of being, you know, as part of being a teenager. I mean, we, everybody listening yeah. who has been through being a teenager, there's parts of your brain start to make decisions for you that yeah. you are. It feels so amazing to go along with. You yeah. know, whether that be uh, we're going to do this thing. 
I've been told it's super dangerous. I shouldn't be doing it. Oh, but it feels so exciting. I can't stop myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's right. And it's all kind of whirled up in there. Yeah. And how were your parents, part of this is me asking you as the stepfather yeah. of a teenager, <laughs> how were your parents around things like, I don't know, like curfews and stuff like that? Or, you know, what were they telling you about boys and about hanging out with certain kinds yeah, of boys? Yeah, yeah. Well, for, for me, I remember growing up in a, you know, a strict Catholic home. It wasn't a very happy home, though. My mum and dad weren't very happy, and my dad's been deceased now since um, 1999, so he lives in heaven, um, and and I miss him very much. But I can remember they just did the best that they could, like mum and dad themselves, I think. Dad was an insurance clerk and a part-time cleaner, and my mum was a kitchen hand at the local hospital. And so a really working-class family. Um, you know, dad had a number of different anxieties as well, which we saw a lot in his, you know, um, verbal aggression and that type of thing at home, which was really, really tough. Um, and as far as curfews, curfews and things like that went, even when I started to think about hanging out with, you know, the wrong people, people from the other side of the tracks, I was... I wanted to do the right thing. Like, mm. I, and in my heart, I wanted to do the right thing. And I had put, increasingly so, I put unrealistic, ridiculous expectations on myself once I was in another situation. But um, but mum and dad were pretty good. Like, they were happy to have, you know, my first boyfriend where he would come over before school and after school. And, and um, you know, they would say, yeah, we, you know, we're happy for you to go to this party. They might not have said that they were happy for me to go to those parties if they knew what we were getting up to at those parties at the time. And, you know, I... I reflect on that now with with my own daughter and um and yeah my husband and I it's it's that thing all the time you want them to have um the amazing taste of teenage life but then you have the wisdom now of for me 41 of of these years of knowing I remember where I was at at your age and and just how easily those two worlds can collide so um yeah I had freedom it certainly wasn't um I wasn't prescribed to be home at a certain time or anything like that right and dad were pretty good like that so the kind of things you were doing would you say they were yeah fairly the same thing that all the girls you were hanging out with yeah yeah probably and I think you know, leading it a little bit more as I started to get the taste of, you know, having a few drinks or that type of thing and, you know, then really making sure that your other mates were doing the same thing, which I look back and I'm not that proud of now. But then I also had those other people around me that down the track when it really did matter and life goes beyond partying and, you know, drinking or whatever it might be Mm. that, people can hold you to account and actually go, hang on, look at what's happening in your life. You've got to make some good decisions and you can either choose to listen to that advice or not. So, yeah, yeah, I was very fortunate enough to to have those people still around me and to want them to be in my life. I had a very uh, different teenage experience to to many uh, young men in that my mum ran the STD or now we call an STI clinic at the Australian Army Hospital in Brisbane. So when we got the talk, we got the talk with pamphlets. Wow. (laughs) You know, like, okay, boys, this is herpes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, no, it was, uh, yeah, and and I reckon that that must be good in some way, huh? Terrified. It actually actually fucked me up a lot, to be honest. I remember looking at those pictures when I was doing nursing because I went yeah. on to become a registered nurse. But I remember mum and dad, I actually found um, some lubricant. I think I was in, you know, year seven in their ensuite. And I found it and I threw it on the ground and I said to mum, how dare you and dad ever do this? This is not okay. And she just said, you know, sweetie, it's a normal, beautiful thing. And I, I in my brain, it, it was just like, 
it was like a shock to me. I did not think I knew at year seven that your parents still had sex. Like yeah. I thought, and um, but it wasn't something that was talked about. Like right. you had the opportunity with your mum. It wasn't. We didn't talk about sex. It was not a. We went to a Catholic school, Catholic family. I think I was given a book. At probably around about grade six and it was so gross to me that I threw it on the ground and gave it back to my mum said I never want to talk about it again and we didn't we didn't talk about right. it so I had no preparation except for the little bit you might hear at a Catholic secondary school uh, of the world of yeah. you know sex and boys and all of those things yeah then as you you know you're growing up and you're you're like you're, you're 15 you're 16 you're for all intents and purposes you your body is that of a woman yep but you're still kind of a bit of a kid yep. between the ears. Yep. Can you take us through? Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you take us through uh, what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So I can remember, you know, and I was saying that I always wanted to do the right thing, but then there was this exciting part of life that was starting to take off and it was an escape because home wasn't often a happy time at that time. It was an escape and being around with these people that were interested in drinking and all of this stuff was just exactly where I wanted to be. And, um, and I remember there was a group of kids that didn't go to the same school as me and so I was invited to a party and, and I met a boy there that I, I sort of liked and then anyway, six months down the track, he ended up becoming my first boyfriend. And I remembered at the time looking, there was a girl that had fallen pregnant it would have been about a year before me. She was in year 11. At your school? At my school. Oh. And I remembered the comments and the things that people would say. And, and, you know, at the time, I don't remember saying much about it. I've always been the type of person that it wouldn't matter what happened to you. You'd try and find a pathway through to something that would be good. Even in my, you know, most tricky times, I try to, mm. to see the good. But hearing about this girl and just thinking, you know what, maybe her life is over, you know, and, and actually really thinking that and that was the perception. What did they, what did they, was it a kind of thing of like, oh, she's going to leave school and we never see her yeah, again? Yeah, 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 very much, very much. And so then when I met my boyfriend and then we had sex and we did everything that we thought was the right thing. And so you were contraception yeah, and everything? Yeah, used contraception, condom broke, then that totally freaked us out, freaked us out, freaked me out because we'd only just become sexually active. So you're hmm. just like, oh, my goodness. All those thoughts. If Mum and Dad found out, what have I, what have I, you know, done? Um, that type of thing. But then I'd heard enough to know about the morning after pill from my friends. So then I went and got the morning after pill, and really just thought to myself, my goodness, you know, phew, that, was that was close, you know, like and and um and that was a really scary experience, and it got to the point that I was. Probably it was, I remember it being winter Russia and I hadn't got my period yet. And I remember saying to my mum, mum, I, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but my nipples won't stop stinging. <laughs> and she was like, um, sweetie pie, it's pretty cold winter. So that's where she put it down to. And, you know, I know now that was, that was their signs of pregnancy. Um, and so then in desperation, when I didn't get my period, my boyfriend and I literally rang up. It was the yellow pages. We went through doctors' clinics and pharmacists, and we took it in turns in ringing pharmacists and doctors' clinics and asking them, "Can your period run late if you have the morning after pill?" And you know, most of them said, "Yeah, don't worry about it too much." And I, we just wanted to hear, like you were saying with your your hip, I just wanted to hear someone say, "This isn't going to be your future." Like I, I what I thought it looked like. With the other girl, I wasn't even prepared to think I could go there. I was starting to experience this freedom that 
I was only just starting to grasp and an escape and here was another whole alternate universe that was going to possibly include a whole lot of responsibility. So my boyfriend and I decided that we'd go to, we told our parents that we were going to go to a friend's party at a, at a restaurant down in, not far from Watsonia in Melbourne. And, um, and at that place, there was a 24-hour medical centre just around the corner. And so they dropped us off at the restaurant. They left, saw the car go. Then we went to the, um, to the 24-hour medical centre and oh, it, it was, oh, man, like the first thing that the receptionist asked me for was for a Medicare card. And I was like, is that that green thing that my mum has in her purse? I didn't know what that was. And then she took me in to see the doctor and that was the doctor that actually gave us gave me. He, he was really rude and he made me feel pretty awful and pretty ashamed and he just threw some tablets and said, take these, that'll stop it, and take these, it'll stop you being sick. And that was the morning after pill um, that, that time. Um, so he gave it to you again? He gave it to – that was – no, sorry, that was the first – that was the night it happened. Okay. But, um, but then when I didn't get my period – sorry, that was an earlier story – but then later on when I didn't get my period, um, I went to my, – my boyfriend and I were working at, um, at Wendy's Ice Cream, so we both had the lovely – pink Wendy's uniforms on and I went to get a test and said to him I need to go and grab a test didn't know what else to do um didn't even really know what one looked like and had to go to the bit that had all the condoms and the lubricants mm. had to pick up the worst thing and you know being in a suburban area it's like a country town mum and dad knew everyone there and you just I just kept looking down thinking what is everyone thinking about me as I pick this up you know obviously she sleeps around you know what a waste of a life stuff like that so I I, I picked up the test bought it didn't look at the lady either and chucked it into my surf bag because that's all I wanted to do was be a surf girl at the time and um went to the toilets and and Dave came with me my boyfriend and then I locked myself in a cubicle and you know did the test I had no idea how to do it and after one minute one line showed and that meant that it was working properly and at that time I actually said mum and dad had taught us to say if anything goes drastically wrong say Jesus Mary and Joseph help me I think I said it 600 times within the space of I don't know 30 seconds Seconds. And then another very faint but real second blue line began to appear. And my first thought was about, you know, my boyfriend. I was trying to impress him, his mum's family, mum and dad, like what were they going to think of me now? My, my next thought was about my nana. I truly didn't think she'd heard of the word sex, let alone that anyone ever had it. <laughs> and the next one was about my dad. He'd worked two jobs for me as a cleaner and as an insurance clerk so that I wouldn't have perhaps the outcome that he'd had. And then I just put it in my bag and and then we went to work and later that what night was that I went shift home. Like? Oh, how did you get through that? It was so heavy. It was like, like you know, a teenager's brain, the frontal lobe isn't developed enough yet to make pre-decision-making ideas. I know that now. You don't know that when you're 16. But what it felt like was that something was that was happening that was so big to me that my brain couldn't even comprehend properly yet. And one minute I was looking at Dave and he's making, you know, a, a winky dink ice cream or whatever and, and handing them to some kid and I'm thinking oh my goodness he's going to be a father and then I'm you know just thinking to myself oh, how am I going to go home and tell mum and dad this news it was it was very full on all right mm. so how well f number one that he didn't run straight away is pretty amazing yeah yeah well he just he actually just um put his hand on my head I can remember and just sort of ruffled my hair and he just said 
you know, Bernie, it's your body and it's your decision and and that's and that's then we went to work. That was just how sort of pragmatic it was and and he was really lovely for a sixteen year old kid. This was a huge thing for him as well. We both didn't know how to comprehend this and didn't know anyone. There wasn't a I went, you know, later on I asked if there were any books or pamphlets to show me that you could be okay and there was nothing then, Osha. So it, it was it was a, a tough road at that point. So how what happened? What yeah. did, like how did you sleep that night? Like, what happened? <laughs> well, I got home and I ran straight into my bedroom, which was painted pink when I was ten. Had all those surf posters up, and um, I shared it with my little sister. And um, I heard the familiar creaks, and Mum came in, and I knew I could tell my mum because she was, you know, and she is such a compassionate woman. Um, and it would be more that I'd had sex than I was pregnant for Mum and Dad. And so I, I just told her, and she just said sweetie pie only the good girls get caught out and I remember sort of sitting there thinking that doesn't make any sense to me (laughs) but I think what she was meaning was you don't know what you're doing so that's why you've fallen pregnant but but it was her compassion that was so grateful for for what was about to come because then she uh, said oh Clive that's my dad Bernadette's got something to tell you and um and dad came into the bedroom Osha and he was you know when you know when something's up with your kids. Um, he was like, but green, grey with anger, and he did have bouts of of, of verbal aggression. It wasn't physical, but you know he he could get really angry. And I just thought, I can't tell my dad. I can't tell my dad what I've done. So I just looked at the ground and I said, Dave and I had sex, and now I'm pregnant. And then the next thing we heard, my bedroom door slam, the front door slam. We lived on a main road. He went into the middle of the main road and screamed to the whole of the suburb, "My 16 year old daughter's had sex, and now I was pregnant." And we could hear it from inside. And it was (laughs) the the neighbours remembered it for a long time. Thankfully, once they knew more of the story down the track, they'd have a laugh about it. And I'm happy that we can now. But at that time, that was pretty full on. Um, And then he woke me up at 7 o'clock the next morning. Um, My mum got very sick because of the shock. She couldn't walk for six weeks. We thought she had MS, but it was just the stress of my pregnancy. My goodness. And so dad got me up the next morning and took myself and went. we went and picked up my boyfriend, Dave, and we he took us to a 24-hour medical centre again to get the to get the test again. And and it was he did not talk to me at all. It was pretty tough. He actually didn't talk to me towards the end of, until the end of my pregnancy. So Whoa. it was a very hard time. Oh, I can only imagine, like, <laughs> being Dave on the side of the road when the car pulls up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, I my know, God. That right. would have been so intense oh, for you. It was. Well, we were actually in the back of the car and my brother was there as well and my mum, my, my dad drove and and my brother said, you know, it was silent. My brother said, what's the matter? Is Bernadette pregnant or something? And no one said anything. It's just like, oh, this is not a nice, nice experience. So, yeah. This is And this is a time like primitive internet if there was any. Like, yeah, there, there wasn't. No there wasn't information, any. No, no nothing. You must have just been terrified. Absolutely that. terrified and and something that it's, it was a time where inclusion and, and those types of things wasn't has how it is now and so much stigma attached, which we've certainly come to know about through the journey that I've been on but been able to be an incredible mm. part of turning that around as well. Yeah. So what, like, did you go to school that day? What, what yeah, happened next? Yeah, so, so then I went to my school, actually. Everyone was upset. Like I said before, my mum was sick. My boyfriend's family was, that was like they 
you know, were at a funeral. They were crying and and I didn't know what to do. So I went to my year 10, year level coordinator, who I thought was about 130 at the time. In reality, he was probably 28. <laughs> and I, But I, I felt like I could trust him. And, um, and he was really strict. He wore a suit and, you know, um, not someone that you'd, I would have thought was approachable, but I just felt like he was the only person I could turn to. And so I went in and said to Mr. Shiel, um, you know, I've got a boyfriend who's, I've been going out for six months. This is what's happened. And now I'm pregnant. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He, he just said, Bernadette Kennedy, which is my maiden name, the journey might be different now, but the destination can stay the same. And I remembered Osha just thinking, you're not screaming out to the whole of Watsonia. You're not sick like my mum. And then he said it again, the journey might be different, but the destination can stay the same. And I, and he he was the first person that saw through what was happening to me and to who I was, regardless of the situation. And thank goodness he said those words to me. Um, and I I didn't know, even myself, I, I, I guess my, um, well, not I guess, I know that my faith even at that age, but just me as a person, I knew I'd continue with the pregnancy. It wasn't, I remember looking at different options, but that was where I was going to step. And I can remember at the end of my pregnancy writing down three promises and the first promise was to be a good mum. I wasn't going to say great. I'd hardly held a baby and I wasn't a maternal girl. The second was to finish my education. I had no idea how I'd do that now. And the third was to write a book, a pamphlet or something to help other young women that had been in the same situation as me and and young men to know that they can be okay and that their kids can be too. Um, So I wrote that with my tummy way out the front and, you know, alongside that I remember rubbing like body butter into my belly every day to make sure I didn't get stretch marks and at the very end of the pregnancy and I remember looking at mum and saying look I don't even have any stretch marks and she's like oh sweetie pie if you just have a look underneath where you can't see and they were all there so I didn't get away with those either so it was tough being a teenager and going through those body image things as well. What was it like in the healthcare system you're a registered nurse now what was it like like being the very obvious teenage mum in the maternity ward? Yeah really really hard um the nurses didn't help me. The, they were, uh, and it was actually my mum who is, as uh, I said before, a really compassionate lady. She actually put in a complaint to the hospital because she said, look, and mum had to go to work for the, I think she came in the, the first day after I had Damien, but after that she had to go into work and then she had some time off and thinking that I'd be well looked after. And I remember just being in tears because I had a very traumatic birth. I couldn't walk properly and, um, and rang, you know, was ringing my buzzer and the nurses wouldn't come. And it was, it was probably busy, but it was, they certainly weren't kind. You know, I can remember buying, I saved up my Wendy's money and bought some Estee Lauder Foundation because, you know, mum always taught, even as poor as we were, to put value into yourself. And, and I figured, even though this was happening, that I could still go and buy Estee Lauder foundation i remember going to the counter and the lady just looking at me and saying oh baby's having babies you can't afford this that type of stuff was pretty horrendous and you know a story i share a lot now because it has a lot to do with the work that we're doing nationally was the first time i got onto a bus and um after having damien and again it was only a, a few weeks after and i was trying to get on with my three promises and Dad had started talking to me by this stage, which was good, and I was at home. Mum and Dad both worked full-time. And um, I needed – the only place I could find where I could finish my year 11 and year 12 was an adult education place, which was um, – again, I went through the yellow pages. <laughs> where could I do it? 
And I went to the bus driver and I had the pram, which that took me half a, felt like half a month to work out how to put that together, how to pack a nappy bag, like let alone your own stuff. And so here I was ready, had ridiculous expectations that the baby looked amazing because I didn't want anyone to look and see me, like we just said, and know that I very obviously look 16. And this baby, I wanted to look like he was well cared for. And so I sort of pleadingly looked at the bus driver. It was peak hour. And then he just said something that was so awful that I don't even know how I made it up on the bus. And the bit that sucked most about that... What did he say? He just said, oh, you you dirty little slut. And I didn't, you know, and I don't even know how I got up onto the bus. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was really tough. So I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, when things are painful, you blank them out. But I got onto the bus, so I'm pretty sure some wonderful standers by would have helped me at that time. But I was pretty upset. And I got to the secondary, where I was actually going, though, Washer, and this is a bit that, that made it tough, was I was going to the only place I could find where I could finish my education. Like up until that point, it was like Australia on a silver platter. If this happened to you, there were no opportunities. Even if you were bashing down the door like I was trying to, I didn't know I was. I was just doing my next step of where I, how I thought I could meet these goals. And you finally get onto a bus after not sleeping and, and giving birth three weeks ago and um, to get to your promise to just to have an education like any other Australian kid and every roadblock, including this bus driver, you know, came in the way. And so that perseverance just to get to the place, to get to the adult education place was huge. I got there and... Um, and after the bus trip, I was a mess by that point. And the lady who ran the centre, I'd made an appointment. She saw I was upset, came in and helped me. And, and actually, that was where I finished my year 11 and year 12. And um, and I studied there. Um, there was a 91-year-old gentleman who did his English and I breastfed in the class. And um, But just how close it was to me not being able to get there just because of the stigma and that type of... Um, community perception it was pretty hard not to be in a situation where you tried to make yourself look well kept and your baby well kept and gosh having two more kids now wash it doesn't matter what age you are they all have snot they all have you know yeah. some but i didn't realize that at that stage and, and but this is, this is a lot of people may not realize that um you know here's here's a young woman that wants to have this you know wants to get an education but if the bus driver like if the first step yeah. is like what was the bus like the next day when you saw it arrived you'd like oh, yeah. please don't be the same guy please don't <laughs> be the same guy I, I actually I think after that because I was so upset I asked mum whether she could 
like she moved her world around with work so she could take me to school and then she'd have her lunch so she could pick me up at the right at that time because it was yeah. just I, and thankfully I had I had that support yeah. you know like um it, it was But if you've got no if you've got no choice Bernadette, no. if you can only take the bus Yeah that's after right after a couple of days of that yeah. Who would why, fucking why want to get back on to? the bus to That's... be like, you know what? Not today. No. Not today. No. I'm not going to deal with that today. No. I'm not going to go to school today. Yeah. You know. And That's right. Or because yeah. That's not okay. I no. mean, there's one thing to try and expect an adult to have the resilience to get on with that. Yeah. That's just a sad a sad man who's upset yeah. that no one's having sex with him. That's yeah. why. That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah, it But was, if you're 16, That's right. every adult's an authority, and, you know. That's right. Just awful. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a, it was a very um, yeah. I had to build. I had no choice but to build either resilience or listen to yeah. what people were saying. And it's actually an interesting fact because teen parents we know now have high hopes for their dreams, aspirations, and careers. Seventy nine percent of them are on long term welfare, but we also know that that's because there hasn't been a pathway plan that's actually. Be- taken down those um, barriers and, yeah. and help them to be able to have the same access, just the same access to education and support as any other Australian kid yeah. and, you know, or Australian teenager. And, um, and so that want is there for most teen parents and then they can go on and their children have incredible lives. So uh, I just don't think we realise our roles in that and even if we see a young mum in the bus mall, what a smile can do to someone's day, it's... Um, Unfortunately, we still get a lot of stories from teenage mothers all around Australia that yeah. face stigma. It's, it's it's increasingly getting better, but it is tough. How how did your relationship with Dave progress once the baby was, uh, was there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, he was a he was a great he is a great dad. Um, he would come over before school. He did beforehand when I was pregnant, and I remember this. You know, now I look back and think about this young boy that would come over and he'd bath the baby before he went to school in his school uniform and then I'd do my day then he'd come over at the end of the day and then we decided that we would go and move out when Damien was about two and so we would have been nearly 18 so still 17 and um it was like we were trying to do something that some 20 something 30 something year olds do and aren't successful it was pretty rotten time actually and um and we both went our separate ways during that time so he went back to his mum and dad's place and I went back to to my mum's and to a very good friends um at that time and it's great though because we've always made sure that Damien's only ever felt love from his parents so um I met my husband six months after that time when I actually thought that I would never, there'd be no guy that would be interested in, you know, a single mum with this three-year-old boy and just so happens that the greatest man on the planet was just around the corner, <laughs> Russia. So, you know the story. Um, so it was pretty cool. And yeah. Damien, you know, he was married only four weeks ago and well, just over... Um, and, you know, both of his dads made beautiful speeches and it's something, you know, we, we often, we've had, you know, at 21st, we've had all of the families together and yeah. it's something my husband actually said very early on, if Damien only sees love and yeah, there are things that are tough early on. But again, I look back and go, how did you have the maturity at that age not to get bitter about that? Mm. Uh, you know, or, or whatever those things, which all relationships can have. Yeah. But made the decision just that Damien would only see that love where we're pretty happy yeah. with now that he's an adult. So, but it, it, It's interesting that you, 
the expectation that you had like, okay, well, finish school. Well, we've got a kid. I guess we go out and do the grown-up thing. Off we go. Yeah, yeah. Just, this will be fine. Everyone else seems to be doing it, and yeah, that so it was true. almost like, almost like a list of instructions, like an IKEA manual of like, this is how, this is what you have to do next. Yeah. This is the next thing that you have to do. Yeah. Um, but putting, you know, just such as you mentioned earlier, just such unrealistic expectations on, yeah, on not only your situation, but also the financial ability of, oh, of you guys to support yourselves and yeah. access to services and, and distance from your parents and all yeah. all that kind of stuff. I mean, of, of course, it ended up, yeah, way, yeah, way it did. And yeah. I, I wonder now, you know, there might be that pressure to well. You're going to have to be a family. That's what you're going to have to do. Yeah, yeah. Is that the best thing for everyone? That's right. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. And we've certainly seen, you know, Damien, he'll say himself, you know, I've I've only ever had a young mum and two dads, you know, for him since he was three. He he has some memories from his early childhood, but he's just, he's like, I've only ever felt that love and he wouldn't change it for anything mm. and we wouldn't either yeah both steve and i nor bailey and flynn our yeah. younger children so yeah it's um fair families are are incredible in their diversity i think as well and in being able to embrace that is really important why nursing why nursing goodness and it seems like a lifetime ago that i was a nurse um so i finished nursing it would be about nine years ago but I went into nursing and, again, probably one of the reasons is as a young mum, who are you around? You're around maternal and child health nurses, maybe around childcare workers because you are you might have your child in childcare. So you see these professions and look and, and then you're going to a maternal and child health clinic. And for me, I was just thinking, I want to be that person so I can help young mums. I want to be that person so I can help young mums. It's number three on your list. That's right. That's right. And... um. And I never became a maternal and child health nurse, but I certainly didn't realise what the actual career would um, unfold beyond nursing that's actually helped young parents in Australia. Mm. That just blows me away. So I worked in nursing. I actually did a a graduate diploma in perioperative nursing, which is theatre nursing. So know all about your hip stuff you're talking about. um, But, you know, it it was an amazing career and a great career with a child. And for Damien, when he'd come to uni with me, so I finished year 11 in year 12 with him, met um, my husband and um, and then he Damien just continued to come to nursing with me. We'd go to uni in Melbourne and he just thought he was studying to be a nurse and he'd sit in the lectures, he'd come to the tutorials and and then he started school and I went into nursing yeah. and it was, it was a really brilliant, brilliant career. What would you say to men listening about dating, not even no, like just dating? A woman in her kind of late teens or early 20s that has got a kid who's a yeah. toddler. Yeah. Because in your head as a man, you might be going, oh, my God, if I go to your I'm going to have to be financially responsible. Oh, too hard. <laughs> you know, it can all blow yeah, up yeah, before yeah, you even yeah. hello. Yeah, that's right. That's And that's exactly it. And you know what? That's exactly you've You've got experience, you know, in this. And, and my husband felt exactly he didn't feel the same. But the world looked the same to him. You know, he was at, the, at his peak in playing footy and um, and all of his mates were saying to him, I just met him at a it was really romantic night at a uni pub in Melbourne. It was a $1 pots night, so it's <laughs> quite... Dollar pots, yeah, oh, those, those are the days. <laughs> no, listen to us reminiscing. And his mates were all saying to him, she has a two-and-a-half-year-old, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? You could, you know, you could go out with anyone that you, you want. And... Um, 
And he, I remember actually asking Steve whether I could show him a photo of Damien the first time we went out because I wanted to make sure that he knew what he was inviting into his life. And not that I expected him to be in love with him or anything like that, but just to be honest and and that he knew. And I can remember Osher him going, oh, no, I'd prefer not to see a photo. And I remember thinking, oh, I was right. Don't love anyone. Just be on on your own. And then, and, but he was really lovely and kind. How he said it, he just said, "Oh, look, I just not not right now, but thank you." And then it was only a couple of weeks later, and he said, "Actually, Bernie, we went. That was our second time we, we went out." And um, he said, I'd, "I I don't want to see a photo of Dame, but I'd love to meet him. So if we can, if I can meet him sometime." And he said, "Look, the reason I said that last time, I had all my mates telling me." you know, you could, you could do better. And he said, and then I went to my brother and I said, look, I have real feelings for this woman. And his brother's advice was, if you love her, then don't let anything stand in the way, go and explore that. And, you know, true love actually goes past all of those things. And my goodness, it has, thank goodness for Warren, his brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think Steve would have come to that uh, understanding himself. And so I, you know, and it was poor Steve. It was so embarrassing. The first time he met Damien, Damien ran up and gave him this huge hug. Like he was this other dad he'd never met before. And I'm there going like, Oh my goodness, so much so quickly, but Steve just took it all in his stride. And, um, so to any men out there, I think you need to be honest with yourself and your own feelings. And again, not externally what the world might be saying to you, because, um, I, I think Steve would be comfortable in saying that he met and has his one true love, which I am with him. And it was, you know, not going to be with another person. Mm. And, um, me being a mum only intensified and magnified that. So yeah. it was another expression of I, it. I would, I would say the same thing. Do you like, think? I, I, for me, it was just there's relationships do run their course yep. and relationships are often part of that travel. It does involve a, a child. Yep. Um, uh, and so it might be given that a child may be a part of that story anyway. Yeah. All right? Yeah. That's at, right. At one point. And, you know, as to, to what we're talking about, you may not really have a choice of when that happens. Yeah. All right? Yeah. You, you may think you want to have it and, yeah. you know, family planning is very important, but it might, it might happen. Yeah. All right? And that the richness of character that Audrey mm. has mm. or had when I met her because of the fact that she was a single mum mm. was beyond anything that I'd met yeah, yeah. and I was just like oh my god wow <laughs> I would just couldn't fathom how well to be honest it was like she really had her shit together yeah more than anyone yeah you know that in, in many ways yeah that, that I, I had yeah. meeting around that time and it, you know, it's because she had the responsibility of like I gotta get this done yeah gotta, you know find yeah. a career that I can do yeah. around bringing the kid up I've got to you know do all this kind of stuff mm. we're gonna put uni to one side I'm gonna do all these other things and mm. I've got to you know and then to have the two of them in my life and I've said this before, it's honestly, it was like yeah, wow. you're not just dating one person, you're kind of dating two. Yeah. You've got to, got to manage two emotional yep. situations. But then you get, when things go great, <laughs> you get double the yeah. awesomeness yeah. out of it. And, yeah. it's, you know, you, you only ever get like a double positive occasionally, but that's yep. okay. There's a time of life that everybody is. Yeah. Um, but it's <laughs> just, right. I could only say, like, it's just don't be afraid. No, don't, no. You know, you know, she's an incredible kid and yeah. I love it a bit. And I, I've said this before, you know, one day 
she was my girlfriend's kid. One yeah. day she was just my girlfriend's kid. Yeah. The next day, Bernie, it was like, yeah. I will do anything I can to protect oh, you. I will, yeah. I will go, yeah. I will push you out of the way. If a train yeah. comes and squashes me, that's fine <laughs> as long as you're oh. safe. Like from a Tuesday to a Wednesday. Yeah. Would, and isn't that just the truth of it though? I, I You know, and I can remember – a similar time with Steve and I, and it is don't be afraid. And and so there was that point when I was thinking, oh, Damien, you know, he's you, you want him to be, you know, a good kid and so that Steve wasn't going to be put off. I actually didn't need to have those concerns at all because Steve was secure in himself. He was yeah. secure in his own emotions and what he was feeling. And the first time that I remember seeing Steve in this capacity was when Steve's a, um, a, a musician and so he, would, he had his... Um, what Damien called his sports guitar, which is an electric guitar. Mm. <laughs> so he'd call it his Steve's sports guitar. And Dame was like thranging this thing, like thronging it and just like bashing it. And Steve went over so gently and just said, mate, you know, don't do that to the guitar. You know, we'll put it over here. And then when you want to have a go again, go for it. And I was there going, Steve, he's going to have a tantrum. You don't want to see him have a tantrum. He's going to have a tantrum. And I'm thinking, oh, no, he's not, he's not going to want to be around after he sees a tantrum. Damien went and had a tantrum on the ground next to the sports guitar. So he said, it's fine, Bernie, let him go. It's not a problem. I, I don't mind at all. And this, I was starting to see this unconditional love. It wasn't based on, it was because he loved me and then he just grew into the most incredible dad for Damien. Mm. And it's um, it was quite an amazing thing to grow into myself and yeah. then be able to join in that parenting journey together. It, yeah. it was really amazing moment. So you, you did number one on your list, finished yep. your education, in fact, finished it in spades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. become an RN and a theatre nurse. So yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the heavy stuff. Yeah. My mum, before she retrains the GP, she passed away now, before she retrains the GP, she was an anaesthetist. Mm. So... I th- certainly think wow. that when you're in theatre, it definitely gives you a different look on life. Yeah. You know, because you see it all. Yeah. You see birth, you see death, you see amputation, you see yeah, you do. everything you do. in a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in a day. <laughs> that's just yeah, a Thursday before lunch. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you've got 14 people on the that's list, so that's, true. you know, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot. And, yeah. you know, you go home and it's yeah. like, hey, how was work? Well, yeah. <laughs> but it, it really sets you up. And then, yeah. uh, you know, you know, so be a good mum, finish your education and then the do something for other women in my situation. Yeah. When did that start to really come into play and were you able yeah. to affect it through your nursing career or did you realise you might have to do something else? Well, I it, it happened just really naturally. I can remember writing a book, um, my book, which is called Brave Little Bear, which is the meaning of my name, Bernadette, and this was in – I, and it's funny, actually, because I remember looking up baby names, thinking, what was I going to call Damien, and thought I should look up what my name means. And it said, Bernadette, brave as a bear. And I thought, you know what? That's just what I've got to be. Yeah. <laughs> and then all these years later, I wrote down, I wrote um, my story, which is really easy to read. It was like it takes literally an hour to read it. It has beautiful pictures in it, something that anyone in this situation could pick up and get the message of hope if they're going through it. But, um, and that was, I wrote that in 2006. And so that's quite some time ago. What I didn't realize after that, Osha, so still nursing at the time, was then 
because there'd never been a book written about it, which is pretty amazing in this day and age. Women have been having babies as teenagers forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there, there'd never been a book um, written about it. And then I started to get, and the internet was around now, was starting to get emails from all over Australia, from girls themselves, boyfriends, dads, uncles, colleagues, saying, I know this girl. How is she going to be okay? How is she going to finish her education? And I'd literally go, oh, so you're in Toowoomba. Where's a, where is there a young mums group? Then I'd ring up the hospital. Then I'd find out where there was a school. I'd see whether they had a policy. And then if they didn't, I'd give them some ideas and connect all these dots and then ring them back and say, okay, so you can take your daughter to here, here and here. And then after a little while, and I was saying to Steve, you know, this is more than me just, and it was getting more work and people would call contact more and it just happened gradually. And so I said, this is more than a book. This is a charity. I had no idea of how to start a charity. So Steve, myself, my um, a great mate, we sat with the book How to Start a Not-for-Profit for Dummies, seriously, in 2008, and incorporated Brave Foundation. And, um, and it's so great. I remember we just had a glass of red wine. We signed the Constitution. We started Brave Foundation. I never would have believed that then, you know, here we are in 2018 and Brave Foundation refers to over 280 community organisations that we have a former Premier as the Chairman, the Lawyer of the Year for Australia, you know, an internal auditor that's um, oh, a treasurer that's an internal auditor of a large company, an ASX listed company, um, or that I'd then go on to do governance studies and business studies and I was an elected councillor for five years. I ran a federal election campaign, which I'm so happy never to do again. But all of those things were to be able to bring about the same equality towards support and education for some 24,000 young women in Australia every year. Every year. And it's like, it's like, it's so, there is... I think it's 640, I know it's $648,000 is the, is the government like costs for an expecting and parenting team that's on long-term welfare. So that's for one. Per year. Per year. So if you are actually looking at being able to create pathways towards having opportunities for education, acceptance and support in their life, not only are you actually creating a more um, a social case and a more inclusive and, and supportive community, but an economic case as well. And so over that time from how to start a not-for-profit for dummies to now having a, a very established board, which we have been um, for it would be about the last seven or eight years and Australia's leading organisation for expecting and parenting teens, it is just amazing, Osha, to think that and, and something we have developed. We've just um, finished developing. Uh, it's a 376-page document, which is about pathway plans for expecting and parenting teens and how it doesn't matter where they are in Australia, that you can actually put this strategy in Australia and that with a, with a mentor to be able to navigate that journey from pregnancy, mid-pregnancy through to the child's first year of age, that they actually can have the same outcomes if they would like of education and support, plus maternity leave, plus how to pack a nappy bag, plus making goals and dreams like the three I wrote years ago. And that we've actually written that project plan now, and that is very exciting. And we, we've got some really wonderful things that will be coming up this year. But it's part of the stigma with myself and my own expecting and you know, um, teenage parenthood story, then leading a charity and how many organisations don't want to go near you because it's not unless you've got an understanding of, of what it's about and a revelation about it. 
then to starting to actually get some momentum and people saying, oh, when did Brave happen? And it's, you know, the 12-year overnight success. Mm. It's, it's been a lot of hard work and, and it deserves that. It's deserved that. But the charity has encountered, I guess, a lot of the stigma and is now turning that curve in Australia that an expecting and parenting teen experiences on their own journey. So mm. to be a part of, um, I remember last year thinking with the, in the not-for-profit world, you have to get ready to give something up at the drop of a hat. And for for Brave and, and me, CEO and founder, but our board as well, it's always been more about the vision and building that village of support and acceptance around an expecting and parenting teen than us getting the kudos. And being the founder, it's, it's almost like another baby. And it was an amazing point last year to actually think, you know what, we could give all of this information over and um, and if it's going to hit the mark and if it's actually going to help expecting and parenting teens, that is the number one goal. Um, and to, to actually get to that place and then be moving and actually leading it, <laughs> which is just a privilege for Brave Foundation, is yeah. amazing. So this this document is this the sort of thing that you you're preparing for implementation within the healthcare system or That's correct? Some, oh wow! Yeah, so it's really really cool. So we've just uh, finished a, a short term contract with the federal government to write the project plan, wow. which is the first in national history. So it is very exciting that we've um, that we've written that plan, and the next step will be looking at ways to implement that. That's so it's it is extraordinary, and it's um. Yeah, it does. It just blows me away. And and there were times when I wondered whether I would ever see this in my lifetime. And like I said before, you know, you do. You get to the point where you go, that's okay if I don't because we have done what we can. But to actually see that, you know, this is going to be um, and to have that next step now that the project plan's been written, uh, just seeing the project plan is really yeah. exciting, Osha. So it's um it's wonderful investment to Australia uh, and these young mums and dads and their families and for their future as well. 24,000 every year. That's, yeah, yes, yeah, so that's expecting and parenting teens, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's it one, might be that's about 22,000 now, so it's decreasing. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, well, that's yeah. still, that's one in a 1,000 Australians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's which a, is, I don't know, in a full MCG, that's a, that's 100 people. Yeah, yeah. That's a, lot, that's a lot of people. It's a, it's a lot of people. It's yeah. insane. And it's just, it's so wonderful to see now so many young women knowing that there's a place to go and knowing that they know they can be okay, mm. like, you know, any, like any of their mates, so... It's, it's really like good. in. It's not not my lifetime, but you know, where I'll make her name up. Um, where did uh, Michelle go? Yeah. Uh, or she's gone to visit the f- uncle on the farm. Uh, yeah. And then yeah. a year later, she shows up. Yeah. Again. Yeah. No baby adopted. A- and that's but it. that's that's what it was like in the seventies. That's right. Well, our chairman David Bartlett, the Honourable David Bartlett, his mum actually went through exactly that, and so that's why he was so passionate about helping with Brave because his mum just didn't have the opportunity. He's um, he's reconnected with his mum, his biological wow. mum now, which is just amazing. And yeah. Jan Russ is our ambassador. She was the casting agent for Neighbours for 30 years. She also went through a similar story. And so it's really, yeah, quite amazing to see the what is taking place in Australia and that Australia is coming on the journey with us. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, it. it I have a problem with the word stigma, Bernie, yeah, because yeah. uh, I, I work on a, with a non-for-profit in the mental health space, and I have a real problem with the word oh. stigma because there's stigma around the world, stigma. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm far more about how can we just normalize it? Yeah. How can we just normalize yep. this conversation? Yep. All right, how can we? I love that, Osha. <laughs> but it's, it's true, though. I love though. that. It's true, yeah. though. How can we help 
that I won't say, how can we help a person like that bus driver? Yeah. How can we help him look at the situation and go, <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is a person that needs help. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I have no idea. You did everything. Yeah. Condoms, warning after pills, everything. <laughs> you did it all. Still pregnant. Yeah. All right? But obviously you, you can't put that on a T-shirt. No, no. As you walk and, around. Yeah. I mean, there you are could. times you wanted to. Yeah. But my best friend actually did. She said when she went out with me, she would say, Bernie, I want to make you a T-shirt that just says I'm going to contribute to society. And I said, please don't. <laughs> make it oh. worse. But she was really, she she because she was with me, she could see those attitudes. But you're right. right. Just, for, just for community to be able to be a part of the village of support, whether it is that smile yeah. from a bus driver, where, you know, to, to normalise your, you know, every person has a place. What is the, over, I mean, now, how, well, how long have I got you for, by the way? Have you got 10 more minutes? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. What, hopefully things have changed since the day you got on that bus, but what would you say is the, is the overall misconception about teenage you know, parenting. Yeah, so we actually did a survey on this, and it was the Australia Tell Us Your Views campaign for Brave Foundation, and we had um, a couple of thousand results from that, responses, and what it actually showed was the number one was that Australians think that teenage parents are on long-term welfare, and number two, it was that um, they don't think that teenage parents will be able to finish their education, um, and that was coupled with the word stigma and so that there's stigma there. So I think it's one of those, when you're looking at those two elements, if you're seeing someone in society and your thought is you're costing me taxpayers money and that's the perception from Australia, that perhaps that's where it comes from. And then if the second is, well, it's costing that money plus you don't have the same opportunities as other Australian children going through their education and then there's that stigma, it creates this separation. And so that's why Brave uses the word, and we hear it a lot, especially in the not-for-profit space, but to bring that village of support and acceptance around an expecting and parenting teen. Because, and, and on this flip side of it, the expecting and parenting teens we work with, and that actually there's one young mum, and she was 15 when I met her, Osha, in a really, you know, tough situation, and she's in her second year of law. She's actually a member of our steering committee. She's, uh, she's a gun, and she's been able to use all of those things because she's had that support and been able to have access to a pathway to do the things that she's wanted to do, to do as well as be a great mum that she's actually doing fine and her kids are going to have a drastically different life to the one that she even had. And so I think it is that. I think it really is, as you say, being able to smile yeah. at and expecting your parenting teen first, taking your responsibility for your role, however small or big it might be. It could be that it's your niece one day. Yeah. It may not. It might be a girl that you just glance on the street. But we all have that responsibility, I yeah. believe, as Australian citizens, to bring what level of support we can around someone that's they're not actually a vulnerable person. They're experiencing a heightened level of vulnerability yeah. at this moment. And, and that's our role. It's interesting that the initial reaction is such a selfish reaction. It's not, oh, my gosh, are you all right? It's not, can yeah. I help you? It's, how dare you yeah. cost me? Yeah. I've seen the shows that run after the news at 6.30 at night. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've seen, you know, yeah. the, the woman who's older than you that just keeps the kids coming so she gets the payments. No, I've been taught that that's a horrible thing. Yeah, that's right. You know, 
Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a pre- it's pretty deep, but that's where it comes from, isn't yeah. it? It's just that but, entrenched. But we don't, you know, we, we tend to not see that, you know, we see that's a physical manifestation of taxpayer dollars being yeah. wasted. Yeah. But we don't see... Uh, the digging up the street around the corner. We don't see. Oh, you you blew eight hundred million dollars on an ABN that that's, no one can use. That's so true. Fuck off. And, and, <laughs> and, and what we also don't see yeah. is that these women have never been given a pathway before. No. What are they meant yeah. to do? How yeah. do they? They they try and get on a bus, or they go to a school and they don't have a policy on how to look after an expecting or parenting student, and so then yeah. the principal won't have them stay. That, yeah. This shouldn't happen, but it does happen. Um, and so when, and that's what Brave's so thrilled with, having created the pathway um, plan, because there will be that opportunity for any Australian yeah. teenager that can continue and be totally fine. But I think it's the same with any other group of individuals experiencing heightened vulnerability, that you actually can look, instead of us looking at how do they find the services, I really think in Australia we can look at how we can actually bring those services to them and we can actually do it in a pretty easy way digitally now, I think, in this time in Australia. I can only imagine, like, to know, like, that on the same day that that awful doctor treated you and Dave that way, that you could have, you know, now, then you couldn't have done it, but now you can pick up a website, make a phone call and go, okay, here are the next five things to do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Those steps, just you can connect those so yeah. easily. And, you know, three months from now, as I get ready to go into hospital yep. or to, you know, wherever I choose to have a baby, there's some things yep. to do there. And I can see that there's, a, at the end of it, there's university mm. and, you know, kids happy and healthy. But I can see that here's the, here's the yep. next five things to do. That's right. That's all, all, all we need. That's all right. we want is humans, you know, someone's going to say, hey, it's going to be all right. Yeah. We've done, that's we've been right. here before, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, it, it, whatever you're working with whatever area you're working with yeah that, that, that's all you need did you ever get back in touch with the form master with the um grade 11 form master? Uh, for um mr shield i no, and unfortunately he's um i think he's deceased now oh. so he um although the school knew all about it loyola the school that i went to and my other year 10 teacher so um she knew about it as well but yeah he was unwell by the time i was able to tell him so he wasn't able to hear the story okay but um the school certainly did so and in that time they bought a body shop gift pack for me and had it delivered to my home. So for for a Catholic school, they did really, really well in being able to support me as best as they knew how to when yeah. they certainly, you know, hadn't hadn't um, known how to before. So, but what a legacy, hey? Yeah. Thank goodness he said those words. So what would you say to parents of teenage girls who are listening? Um, and boys. Yeah, Absolutely. For teenagers, I, you know, I'm the mum we talked about before of a 16-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. And I think the most important thing is to love them unconditionally and to really take the conditions off them. You know, I have high expectations for myself and sometimes you can put them onto your kids. <laughs> and remembering who they are as individuals is really important. But for me, I think Osher is that time you know, a couple of times maybe in the afternoon or the evening where you're just at home making tea or whatever it might be, and it's tough, we're all busy and working everywhere, but just having a couple of those times during the week where you're not actually talking about anything particularly, you're just hanging out and around together. Because what I found with Damien growing up, the one my oldest who's now 24, and Bailey and Flynn is that when I'm not talking, they actually realise I'm ready to listen. 
And then when we're just, I'm just making spaghetti, whatever, that's when Bailey will say, oh, mum, such and such has happened today. You know, I don't know what to think about this. But it's just in those moments where you're just present. And it's competing, isn't it, to be present. But that's got to be sometimes and driving 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 your kids to after school activities i know that a lot of people think it sucks but it's actually awesome you've got them captured in a car (laughs) they can't escape you for a bit just that human presence it's um it does a whole lot even when you're not talking so you've you've got a family at home you've got a husband you've just what was it like just uh, not too long ago um being at the wedding of your It was amazing. It was amazing, Osha. Um, yeah, seeing Damien, seeing Damien, and the particular story that we've shared and that we've had, and that he's living his life, and he's a great person. He's a he's a muso, and he's teaching music, and he's doing what he loves, and. It makes me feel incredibly proud, but it makes me feel so grateful to the people that have actually surrounded me to enable it to happen. And again, that's what we aim to to help with anyone more broadly. But just for me as a mum, it was just incredible. It was one of those moments when life just lands and uh, it was so rewarding. It was just like, you know, you have those moments where you go, it could be all over tomorrow and that that was that was just great that was just great and to see his true happiness and to see him being an empathetic lovely man that's now teaching at a school surprisingly that has a young mums program which he's really excited about and he can go in there when he has extra hours to go and you know like to hang out with them and teach them music yeah. it's just like you know wow that's pretty cool yeah. so yeah it's wonderful and okay. it was great so, Judge, I'm just trying to do some maths in my head. <laughs> um, you said the word 22,000. So it's probably around 80, 80, 70 to 80 people today will find out. Yeah. They're pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. As a teenager. Yeah, good maths. What would you say to them? I would say to them, number one, have a cup of tea. Just slow down. Um, it's going to be okay. And once... You know that it's you've had a you know a cup of tea or coffee or whatever it is. You just need to have just take a moment, and then just think about someone that's in your spirit or heart that you know that's someone safe that you can go and talk to, and someone that actually sees who you are, not the situation that you're in. I think that then when you can go to that person and speak about what's happening to you that then they will be able to connect you perhaps to your next three promises which might take a little while but having that support from the right people and it can be those unlikely it might be a year 10 year level coordinator it might be a social worker it could be you know someone that that's you know a a tennis coach who knows but there'll be someone that you think of and know that's a safe place and I can go and have a chat to and that's certainly a step. The other thing I'd say is go to the Brave Foundation website. There's a whole heap of resources there and um, we can help you in any way that we um, certainly, certainly in, in so many ways, but building that village of support and acceptance around you. Yeah. It sounds like those three promises that you made to yourself when you were 16 served you well. Yeah, I know. And like, Crazy things have happened and I certainly didn't look for them, but 
Damo nominated me for Mother of the Year, which I won for Australia, and I was the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year the year, a year ago for Developing Brave, and they're all awesome things, but they're just things. You know, they're, they're great, but they're just things because, like I think, um, what's most important, I didn't think I'd see this in my lifetime and was grateful just at what I had seen even a year or two years ago, but what we're about to see. And um, that I can see, having founded and been through this experience, is the Australia I want to be a part of. So I'm very, very excited about that. Oh, <laughs> just what you said, the, the, this is the Australia I want to be a part of. That is it's so powerful because, you know, I, I occasionally I talk a bit about, you know, it's an incredible country, no doubt. Is it the top of the mountain? In some ways, not everywhere. There's blue sky ahead of us. It's okay to change stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's okay to change stuff because it's going to be fine. Yeah. And let's all build this thing that we can be a part of together because it truly is the greatest country on the planet. I've I've lived in a few and this one's the best one. Yeah, Um, there you go. Yeah, that's that's really exciting, exciting thing. I hope – do you have like big birthdays when you get all the kids together? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like all the all the brave kids, you get oh, them all together with uh, with all of the brave. Oh, we, we get the most amazing emails and different times. Like, there's one uncle that sends us a a photo of his nephew, and this young girl was just 16, and her mum and dad threw her out, and the only support she could find was her uncle. And he sends through a photo every year of this little boy who was the last photo we had of him was in New York with um he'd taken his niece and and little um you, you know and her little boy to New York on this holiday and it just it's amazing to see these you know young women actually having the same educational and support opportunities as any other woman in Australia and not only that but seeing them thrive seeing them happy and seeing them create the futures that they want to have for themselves and their kids it's it's really really awesome really awesome very rewarding Brilliant. Bernie, thanks so much for making the journey here today. Oh, my pleasure, Usher. I've loved it. (laughs) (laughs) That was Bernie Black. Find out more about the great work that Brave Foundation does for expecting and parenting teens at bravefoundation.org.au. What? Yeah. I don't know what you're doing after listening to that, but I'm like, I'm going to do something and pull my finger out. <laughs> a massive thanks to Bernie. She flew up from Tassie and back in a day just to make the podcast happen. So I, I cannot thank her and her team enough for making her day clear enough that she could come up and do that. I'm so honoured and humbled that that she did that to share her story with all of us. A big thank you to everyone that helped me make the show today. Andy Ma, my audio producer. Haley Van Spagna, who managed to coordinate me and Bernie to be in the same place at the same time. Toe Hyder for making all the music and Ellie Westaway for all the social stuff. And a big thank you to you for listening because without you listening, I don't get to make the show. Without you listening, without me being able to show people like Bernie, this is how many people listen. This is why you should get on a plane and come up and chat with me. I can't do that. So thank you. And if you really want to help me out, Tell someone else this week about the show because that makes me able to go, look how many more people are listening. Why don't you come on the show? Better shows, better guests, better us together having a chat. Awesome. If you're going to do one thing this week, just try it. Just try. Just try writing 10 things you're grateful for every morning. That's it. It it can take you one minute, six seconds at a time. Boom, 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 boom. All right? Just have a try. Have a try. Just do it five days in a row. See what happens. You'd be surprised. 
I'm going to tell you right now, you'll be surprised. I hope you have a cracking week. Um, if you're joining us on the telly tonight, see you there. See you on Twitter. If not, no worries. I'll see you next week. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.